Amen. Last Sunday night, our church family, uh, we joined uh, the congregation at First Baptist Gardendale and churches from uh, all around our area for what they called a Hoosier One rally. Hoosier One is something that we've talked about uh, just briefly here at the church before. But the idea is that there is probably one person on your heart, in your family, on your mind, that you really want to see God bring them to himself. You want to share the gospel with that person. You pray for them regularly. And you want other brothers and sisters in the Lord to pray for them with you. And so Hoosier One uh, was developed by the North American Mission Board uh, for Southern Baptist churches. And there are millions of Southern Baptists that are going to be uh, receiving a card just like this one in my hand. And they're going to be writing a name on that of the one person that they want to see God save. I've got my one's name written on there. And there's going to be, I pray, a great move of God in our church, but more broadly than our church, as God works one at a time to bring people to himself. I want to introduce us to this idea a little bit tonight. But as we do, I just want to tell you that this is something that I really believe in. I really believe in this concept. I really believe in this idea. Just because, folks, I believe in the power of the gospel. And the reality is that if God can save me, he can save anybody. Now, that's the truth. If God can take me as self-righteous and blinded as I was to my need for Jesus, if he can take me and bring me to Christ, he can save anybody. I believe that God has a heart to save your friends He has a heart to save your neighbors. He has a heart to save your family. And I believe that God can use you. And I believe about you that you probably don't just want to sit in your 18 inches, you know, more or less, of your seat and just occupy that place until the Lord Jesus comes back for you. But I believe you want to be useful. I believe you want to do something with your life that matters. What better thing could you put your heart and your prayers and your time and energy into than praying and seeking God to save the lost. And I believe that it is God's will for us as a church at this season in the story of our journey to think about how we can be intentional and strategic and develop an outward focus to reach those that are far from Him. So tonight what I want us to do is I want to talk to you about the value of one. Now one is not a big number, is it? In fact, it's the lowest number, at least one more than zero, One is not much. You ever get one of those checks in the mail, like you get a $1 rebate, some company owes you a dollar, and it may not even be a dollar, and they send you a check for it, and you think, by the time you paid somebody $15 an hour to send me that check, and you paid for postage, you are losing money. Why are you doing this? One's not much. When I went to Caldwell Community College and Technical Institute in Hudson, North Carolina, Go Cobras, I was under the opinion that it didn't really matter if I missed one class every week or so. I just didn't think it, one's not that much. Some of you remember the space shuttle Challenger disaster, January 1986. That space shuttle cost our government $200 billion to develop. It was created and designed by the most intelligent minds in the world, and one faulty O-ring cost those people their lives. One matters. One matters. And one matters to God. I want to show you that tonight from Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. If you take your Bible and turn there, Luke chapter 15 and verse number 1. Luke 15 and verse number 1. You can stand while we read these words tonight. Luke 15 verse 1. 
It's a parable that teaches us about the value of one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. To Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, Well, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You don't want to hang out with us. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You can be seated. And I trust the Lord to honor his word tonight. What you read in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, is the first of three parables that even though they have different characters and even though they have slightly different emphases, they basically tell the same story in a different package. There's the parable here of a lost sheep. There is the parable of a lost piece of silver, a widow who loses her treasure. And then, of course, there's the parable of the prodigal son that we know so well from the end of this chapter. And even though you have different characters and even though you have different stories, it's really the same point. And the point is wrapped up in what Jesus says at the end of these parables as he talks about the joy that the person has when they find what had been lost. The shepherd has joy when he finds his lost sheep. The widow has joy when she finds her lost silver. And the father has joy when his son comes home. And the idea is that Jesus, in telling these stories, would give us and his hearers a glimpse into the heart of God to show us that God's heart is full of joy in saving the lost. But why is Jesus telling these parables now? Why here? Why is Jesus taking the time to share these stories? Well, the answer is given to us in the beginning of the chapter in verses 1 and 2. As we find out that there were two groups of people that were coming to listen to what Jesus had to say. The first group were the tax collectors and the sinners. People who were irreligious. People who were not welcome in respectable society. People who had written God out of their lives. They were attracted to what Jesus said, and clearly Jesus is attracted to them. And yet there was another group of people that came to hear Jesus preach, those that the Bible identifies as the Pharisees and the scribes, people who were uptight and self-righteous, people who were well-connected in the religious community, people who were not sinners, thank you very much, and did not need a Savior, thank you very much. And to the point, why in the world is Jesus, who's supposed to be the Savior, hanging out with these people, who are so full of sin. Who does he think he belongs to anyway? Doesn't God belong to all of us self-righteous religious people? And here Jesus shares this story to show and to make it clear in this passage of Scripture that God's heart is full of joy in saving those who need to be saved. And he tells the Pharisees very directly and very clearly, He says, God is too busy reaching the one that needs him to care about the 99 who have never understood how much they need him. And so as you look at this text of Scripture where Jesus talks about a shepherd who leaves 99 to go save the one that is missing, it confronts us with one big question, I think, about the culture of our church. And I want to overlay this story over the culture of Sharon Heights, where we are this evening, and just simply ask the question, as we examine this story together, do we have God's heart for the lost? Do we have here God's heart for the lost? 
And I want to try and get to the bottom of that by asking us three diagnostic questions. And these are stout questions. But they come to us right out of this parable that teaches us about the value of one. Here's the first question. Do we recognize the missing? Do we recognize the missing? Jesus gives an easy to understand parable in verse number 3. It's easy for us to understand. It would have been even easier for the people who heard it to understand. It was a relatable parable. It was something that these people knew and experienced. Many of them had lived through it. A shepherd has a hundred sheep in his flock, and he goes out one day and realizes that one of his beloved sheep is missing. And so he makes the arrangements to care for the 99, and then he leaves the 99, and he goes after the one that is lost. All of these people probably knew what it was like to go hunt a lost sheep, to get the phone call, or, you know, not really, but to, 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 to be called for assistance to say, help me come find what was lost. And Jesus is talking here very obviously about one lost person and God's heart for those that are far from him. Now, this makes sense if you're in that society, but I'm not a shepherd. To me, 99 out of 100 ain't bad, is it? I mean, none of us are going to turn down 99% on a test, are we? 99% is a pretty good grade. But those people would have known, and we should remember that a shepherd's life was so tied to his sheep that he would not be able to bear the thought of losing one of his little ones. And so for him, a lost sheep was a matter of life and death because he knew how vulnerable that sheep was. He knew how helpless that sheep was. He knew the dangers and the predators that could prey upon this sheep. He knew that this sheep could do nothing to defend itself. I mean, it's just a big ball of cotton anyway. What's it going to do? And so he knew that if that shepherd was going to be rescued, he would have to take the burden on his shoulders and go after the one that's lost. And Jesus says, that's what I'm here to do. And the parallel is easy for us to pick up on, right? It's obvious to us what Jesus is saying, and we know what Scripture says. We talked about it in my DT class just a few minutes ago. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 6, all of us like sheep. Every one of us are like sheep. In our ignorance and in our sin and in our foolishness, we've all gone our own way, and we've all walked away from our good shepherd and said, I can do better on my own. All of us have walked away. But thank God our shepherd has a heart full of joy for the one that's missing. And said, I'm going to go after those that are lost. And I will pursue those that are far from me. And Jesus paints in our minds the image of a shepherd who walks up every valley. And walks up every mountain and scours every valley. And takes on himself the burden and the sacrifice to reach those that are lost. And that's what he's done for us, right? We read this text and if we hear the story right, we know we are the one. We are the one that he went after. We are the one that he loved. We are the one that he pursued. We are the one that he walked into a bar to find. We are the one that he sat down in a church pew to save. We are the one that he came after. And how many times in Scripture does Jesus cast himself in this role? Right, he says in John chapter 10, verse number 10, I am the good shepherd. He wants us to see that this is his heart. He says in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36, the Bible says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He realized that these are people that needed a shepherd. And every page that records for us in Scripture, Jesus' life, every detail, every miracle, every sermon, everything that he did up to and including and especially his cross and resurrection, they're revealing to us that this really is the heart of God for sinners that have walked away from Him. That He takes joy in sinners that have found no joy in Him. 
Friends, that's the point of the gospel. It's the heart of the Bible. That God's heart is beating to save. That His heart is for the one. His heart is for the one that is threatened. His heart is for the one that is hurt. His heart is for the one that is broken. His heart is for the one that is lost. So what about us? Because in this parable, in the telling of this parable, Jesus knows that there are a bunch of Pharisees listening to Him preach, and their heart is not for the one. Their heart's not for the lost. They have no concept of the joy in the heart of God at saving us. So what about us? If Jesus, as a good shepherd, looks out over those who are lost, do we look around and see the lostness in our world? I believe tonight that God sees it. I believe that Jesus would still look at our world and He would still see people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And He still has compassion on them. He still cares about the one. He cares about that guy in his 20s. In our community who is going to lose his life in the next few weeks to drug addiction. Jesus cares about him. Jesus cares about those kids around us who don't have enough to eat. Jesus cares about those young couples that are married and their marriage is falling apart and they have absolutely no resources to put it back together because they don't know God and His grace. Jesus cares about those people that used to be faithful, worshiping Him, maybe here at Sharon Heights, but for whatever reason they've walked away. He cares about them. He cares about those people whose hearts are far from Him, whose hearts are cold towards Him, whose hearts are rebellious towards Him. Jesus cares about them. He notices them. Do we? Do we? Yes, the Lord looks at our church tonight. And yes, He sees. And as we talked about this morning, He cares for our pain. He cares for our hurt. He knows our problems. Jesus looks at our church and He knows all about the past. He knows all about the ups and the downs, the hills and the valleys that make up the story of Sharon Heights Baptist Church. But I'm telling you today, God's heart is for those that aren't here yet. God's heart is for those that aren't here yet. He cares about the one. And I've prayed for our church this week and especially this afternoon that God would give us eyes to see this world the way that Jesus sees it. And that He would give us a heart for those that are far from Him because frankly, most of us are comfortable with the 99, aren't we? We're comfortable with the 99. We know all about the budgetary concerns and the financial needs of the 99. We know all about the committee structure and the organization of the 99. We know all about the kind of music that the 99 likes. We know about the services that the 99 prefers. We're comfortable with the 99. And we think 99 out of 100 ain't bad. But Jesus looks and His heart beats for the one that is missing. So we have to ask ourselves as a question. Ask ourselves a question tonight. As a church family, what are we here to do? Or maybe a better way to ask it is, who are we here for? And if we are here for the 99, the truth is that we've missed the heart of God. That's reality from Luke chapter 15. So the first question for us is, do we recognize the missing? The second question is this, are we reaching the lost? The shepherd in the story realizes one of the lambs is missing, and he goes after it, and he gets it, and he saves it. Thank God. He doesn't just say, you know, that's a shame. He doesn't just look out and say, you know, that's a problem. Somebody ought to fix. Somebody ought to do something about this. He doesn't just say, I'll pray about it. He doesn't just say, man, I hope it gets better. He doesn't do Nothing. And Jesus' point is, again, very, very simple. It's right here on the surface of the text. He saves. 
Hear me tonight. Our God is not up in heaven wringing His hands hoping that people will get saved. Put that out of your mind forever. Our God saves. Jesus said that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He will find this sheep. He will rescue this sheep. He will claim this sheep. He will put the nail-pierced hand of grace around this sheep. He will pick it up and He will put it on His shoulders and He will carry it all the way home until it is safe. That's what he does. He is a Savior. So thank God tonight. Let me bless his dear name that our God does not treat lost people the way churches treat lost people. If God looked at lost people the way we look at lost people, you know what God would have done? God would have sent, God would have sent out a mailer from heaven. He said, I hope y'all can make it. Y'all join us if you can. God would have sent out a, a raffle ticket and said, we're going to have a special service over here and we're going to give out a free Xbox to anybody that wins and we hope that will bring you in. If God tried to reach lost people the way we do, he would have had a singing. What does God do? Some of y'all never had a singing and it shows. What does, what does God do? God seeks. God saves. He sent his son to bear our sin, to save us from His wrath, to save us from the law, to save us from the devil, and to save us from death. And one day, in the story of your life, the Spirit of that same Savior came into your heart and told you about a Savior who loved you and gave Himself for your sins, and you believed that message by faith, and you were saved forever. And heaven erupted in praise because it was the heart of God beating to save. That's what He does. You see, that's Jesus' point here. He says, this is how you need to think about the heart of God. You need to think about the heart of God as God who is going after the lost and then rejoicing when he saves them. You need to think about God the way you would think about a, a widow woman who has lost a valuable piece of silver. And she scours and searches and looks for what's lost. And she overturns everything in her home until she finds it. You need to think about God the way you think about a father whose rebellious son walks away and wastes his life in sin and ends up in a pig pen and says, I'm going to go back to my father. And when he comes back to that father, you need to think about God as a father falling on his son, kissing him, putting the best robe on him, saying, bring the fatted calf, bring the robe, bring the shoes. Let's rejoice. My son that was dead is alive, and that which was lost is found. He said, that's how you need to think about God. You need to think about a God who loves and a God who saves, who is active, who is working, who is bringing people to himself. And all we do, all we do as we think about who your one is, all we're doing is trying to be active. Is this everything? No. Is it enough? No. But it's something. It's something. Maybe we need to do more. Maybe we need to do a whole lot more. But for some of you, you just need to do one thing. Because that's one thing more than you're doing now. It's one more name than you're praying for now. It's one more person that you're trying to share the gospel with than you are right now. Who is that person in your life that keeps you up at night because you worry about where their life will go if they never put their faith in Jesus? Who's that person that you wish more than anything else that if possible you would give up your very life just to see them worshiping the Lord in church? Who is that person that you've prayed for for years and years and years and years? Who's your one? Could be a friend. Could be a co-worker. Maybe a spouse. Maybe a child. Maybe a grandchild. Maybe a parent. 
Who is that person? For me, it's my next door neighbor. Because I don't know anybody else in Alabama but y'all. So who else is it going to be, right? Who is that person? And what would it be like? What would happen if instead of you praying in isolation, everybody knew who your one was. And they were praying with you in Sunday school, in discipleship training, regularly throughout the week. I received a text message from a lady in our church the other day, and she told me that she had not one one, but she had two ones. She doubled her productivity. She told me who they were. One's a neighbor, one's a family member that lives far away. And so the other night, Asa woke up, and he had to eat. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was praying for her ones. Friends, that's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling all of you tonight and asking all of you, to make two commitments in this service. I'm going to put these in your hands, and I'll just tell you right now that these may not be enough for all of us here tonight, okay? But I have more of these on the way from the North American Mission Board. They should have been here by now, but Baptists ain't ever going to get in a hurry, so what can you do? But if you don't get one, please know they're coming. And you know that name that's on your heart right now. All you do is you tear off this, this card, write your name on it, and what I'm going to ask you to do tonight is I'm going to ask you just to lay it on the altar as we go. Because we're going to have a time of prayer before we finish up tonight. And the other part's a bookmark. There's, there's some prayer points in there, and I'll be going over those, Lord willing, next week. I'm going to get some of you guys to go ahead and hand these out if you don't mind. I'm not done preaching, but I know some of y'all are, uh, some of y'all are anxious to get to it. Thank you, guys. I'll let y'all go from there. So I want you to write their name on that card. And we're going to be praying for them regularly. And I'm going to ask you to make these two commitments. First, I'm going to ask you to pray every day for that person that you're writing on that card. Every day, pray for that person. Second, I'm going to ask you that you will make the commitment sometime in the next year, so you've got plenty of time to do it, sometime in the next year to invite this person into your home or out to lunch or out to coffee or whatever so that you can get to know them and so that you can have the opportunity to share the gospel with them if you know them well. What's the point? The point is not that this is a program. The point is not that this is some kind of evangelism training. If you want that, we do that in DT. Come to my class, I'll hook you up. The point is that we need to develop as a church a culture of invitation. That we are used to being a people that are looking outside of our walls, beyond the 99, and doing our very, very best to reach the one. That's what this is about. Because here's a fact, folks. Sharon Heights Baptist Church... Listen to you, Pastor. You've got a lot of great things for the 99. You've got great music for the 99. I mean, good gracious, it's been awesome today, especially tonight. My soul. We've got great classes for the 99. I sat in Sunday school this morning, man, and God fed my heart and helped me. It ain't like that in every Sunday school. Some of y'all need to go visit another church next week, see how good God's blessed us here. No, don't really do that, but you know. Um, we've got a lot for the 99. We need to be thinking about the one. We need to be thinking about the one. Sometimes you hear that and you think, well, if we start thinking about the one and not just the 99, if we start thinking about them and not us, well, does that mean that things are going to change in the church? Some of you are worried, well, what's going to change? Let me just put your mind at ease. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. It's not my desire to leave anybody in our church behind. But if leaving people in our church behind because they want to stay with the 99 and not go with God to pursue the one, I'm just going to tell you I'd rather be with him. And I'd rather see his heart to save 
The second question, are we reaching the lost? Here's a third question. Are we rejoicing over the found? This story is a story with a happy ending, thank God. And what we're doing when we put our names on this card is we are praying that their story would be a happy ending. I'm praying that my next door neighbor, that God draws him to himself, saves him by his grace, so that his story can be a happy ending. And so really, joy is the point. The joy of God in saving the lost is the point. And you cannot overestimate this enough to see that the joy of God in saving the lost, it is the point of everything. It is God's joy that propels him to come into this world in Jesus. It is God's joy in saving us that brings Jesus into the world. You say, how in the world do you know that? I know that because when Jesus was born, they named him Jesus. And his name means God will save. I mean, it doesn't get any more obvious than that, does it? It was his joy that put him on a cross. It was his joy that brought him out of the empty tomb. And it was his joy that sent the Holy Spirit to you and taught you about grace and saved you. It is God's joy that sent Jesus. And it is God's joy that sends us with him to share him with the world that needs him. And all Jesus has ever asked from his church, really, is come go with me as I spread my joy into the world at bringing sinners to myself. So, what would God do at Sharon Heights Baptist Church if our first priority was not to do what just made sense to us and not to do what made us happy and not to do just what we've always done because it's what we've always done? What would God do at our church if we really said there's nothing more important to us as a congregation than the joy in the heart of God at saving the lost? What would God do? I'm not sure I have the capacity to understand it or the ability to see it. But I want to see God do it. I want to get in on the joy of God in saving the lost. I read this verse and every time I think about this verse, I think that at some point today, probably hundreds of times, maybe thousands throughout the day, there have been sinners all over the world that have walked away from their sin and they have called out to Jesus to save them. And it, it, looks, it looks different because we're all different. But you know as well as I do, it happened in church somewhere this morning, didn't it? Probably not far from here. Some redneck dude came into church to make his mama happy or to get his wife off his back. And he might have still been hung over from last night. And some preacher that probably can't hardly read the Bible got up and shared the simple story of Jesus. And God got a hold of that guy's heart. And he came forward to an altar and cried out to Jesus. Had no idea what to do or no idea what to say other than, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in faith, he believed in Christ and turned from his sin, and God made him a child of God. And right now, he has no idea what happened. He just knows he's the happiest person in God's world. And when that happened this morning, they came unglued in heaven, worshiping and rejoicing because one that was lost had been found. There's probably a kid somewhere in India or China, in Africa, whose name I'll never know and probably couldn't pronounce. And some missionary took a little piece of paper with a simple picture of Jesus on it and said, do you know there's a God in heaven who's the true God that made you and loves you? And that child believed in that Jesus. 
heaven rejoiced. Rejoiced that a sinner was delivered and a sinner was saved. Thank God. This is who our God is. This is what He does. He loves to save. And I'm praying earnestly that my next door neighbor and his wife and their little boy, that one day there's going to be a party in heaven because they come to know this Savior. And the good shepherd picks them up and carries them all the way home. And what God has invited us to do is God has said, Sharon Heights, come and enjoy my joy. Come experience my joy. Come experience it. So, who's your one? Who's your one? Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about praying for your one. And I believe that's going to be vital. But before we finish up tonight, I want to talk to you about a number that is maybe as important as the number one. And that's the number zero. One minus one is zero. They don't even teach math in Bible college. That was off the top of my head. The number zero. The number zero is the number of people that we baptize in the calendar year 2019. From January 1st to December 31st, zero is the number of people we baptize. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in God's sovereignty and salvation as much as any of you, probably more than most of y'all. Probably enough it makes some of y'all really, really squeamish. But I know and believe that if God doesn't save, they're not getting saved. That's just a fact. But I have to ask myself, if that's a reality, is there something wrong somewhere? And I had to examine my heart. I felt like not only as a member of the church, but as a pastor of the church, I said, Lord, where am I the problem? Where am I the problem? And the Lord showed me two problems that I have in my life that I think may in some ways be church-wide. And I had to repent, and I'm still repenting and asking for God's help. The first one is prayerlessness. Because, just to be honest, I know how to do this. I know how to do it. And even if God's not in it, I know how to fake it well enough to where it looks good enough that it seems like God's in it. That's just the truth. We know how to do it, don't we? We know how to sing and we know how to preach. We even know how to come in here and pray without really praying, don't we? And so I've had to be very, very honest. And I'm being honest with you and just telling you that I've relied too much on my ability and not enough on God's. And it's made me prayerless. And by God's grace, He's helping me with that. And I, I thank Him for that. Second, I can see some places in my life and ministry where I have just not been faithful to who God has called me to be. I'm not talking about some kind of terrible sin. anything. oh, preacher, tell us the details. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying that I haven't necessarily been the pastor God wants me to be. For too long, I have tried to be the pastor that everybody else wants me to be. And I wonder if that's not withholding God's blessings because I've been somewhat disobedient. I know there are other factors at play when a church has zero baptisms. Not the least of which is a past that's been difficult. 
Somebody say amen. There's a church culture involved in that. But I think that if we're just really, really honest, the reason we're not baptizing people is because we're not telling people about Jesus. It really probably is that simple. And I'm not fussing. Believe me, I'm not fussing. Because, thank God, what he's doing around here. Man, we started this year off right, didn't we? Bless his dear name. And I pray it only grows from here. And that's what I'm hoping God does through this. I'm hoping I get to baptize him before the end of the year. Or I hope I get to call one of our deacons and say, I'm not going to be here because my one's getting baptized at such and such church. I'll do it too. I'll go and I'll shout to victory. And men rejoice. But that's what I'm praying God does. And here's, here's what happens. Here, here's what I see God doing at Sharon Heights. And I may be wrong. I don't want to predict that. But here's what I hope and pray God does. That is this. I hope God allows us to see these people come to Him. I hope a year from now they're here, they're worshiping with us, and we've seen God do what only God can do. And if these people on these cards are reached in this way, you know what they're going to do? They're going to come in this place with people on their hearts. And if everyone has a one, and then that one has another one, look out. Look out. So, it's not everything, but it's something. And church, I'm going to tell you, by God's grace, there may come a day when my life is over, when I have to meet Jesus who loved me and gave himself for my sin. And I might have to explain to him why I failed, but I will never explain to him why I did not try. We're going to try. We're going to try. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you filled out your card, did anybody not get to? Did we not have enough? Well, we do have more coming. I promise we have more coming, okay? And I want to get this in the hands of everybody at our church. But here's the facts. I believe on Sunday nights, I believe y'all are serious. Y'all are here because you want to be here, you know? And I believe you'll take this to heart. So here's what I want you to do. What I want you to do is I want you to bring your card, and I want you to lay it on the altar, and we're going to pray tonight. And we're going to pray for our ones and pray for God to work at our church. To let us experience the joy of God in saving the lost. So you come and let's pray. Just leave that card on the altar. If you can't get to the altar right now, that's fine. You can do it before you leave. But just leave it laying on the altar. We're going to leave them there for a few days maybe to remind us of what it is God wants to do and who it is He wants to reach how He's working in this place and if you can't make your way to the altar now that's okay you can do that when it clears up in just a moment but let's pray right now oh God you are a God who loves to save and God I want to rejoice and praise your name for that I want to give you glory Lord for saving me when I was lost Lord when I had no hope apart from Jesus Lord you came and gave me hope and gave me peace And Lord, now you are mine forevermore. God, I bless your name. I bless your name. And Lord, I want to come tonight with my church family. And I want to pray, God, that you would work in this place. And Lord, I believe you are working in this place. God, to make us a people who are concerned about the one. Because we love you. And you love the one. And God, give us that heart that's beating for those that are lost. Do it, God, I pray, for the sake of Jesus. And let us see you in this place. And through our people, God, let us see you rescue those that are lost and dying. 
and saving those that are helpless. God, do the impossible here at Sharon Heights Baptist Church. You are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Our prayers are not big enough. Our faith is not strong enough. God, do what we can't even pray for. Lord, I want to pray for my one right now. I want to pray for Todd, Karen, and Henry. Lord, I want to pray that you would save them. God, I want to pray that you'd save them. Give me opportunities. Maybe even tonight when I got home from church or later this week when I see them, give me the opportunity, Lord, to tell them about Jesus. Lord, they promised before that they'd come to church. I pray that you'd help them keep that promise where they'd hear the gospel in power. God, and I pray that as I try and go after my one, that you would let me meet others that need you. And God, I pray for all these names, people that I don't know, people that I don't know their story, don't know their needs, but God, you do. Lord, I lift them up to you right now. Your heart is for the one and your heart is for all these many ones. Save them, God, I pray. And Lord, I want to ask you that you would make us a people who are prayerful. Make us a people who are mindful of our weakness so that we trust in you and your power. Do what only you can do. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring glory to yourself through this church. Lord, I pray that this year would be unlike anything we've seen. Lord, I pray for those two that were mentioned to me this week. The two ones my dear sister had. I pray for them right now. I pray for the one that was here in our service today. And her mother. Lord, I pray for them. Lift them up to you right now. Convict their sins. Show them that Jesus is the answer. Save them. And Lord, I ask that in Christ's name. In all this, we pray for Jesus' sake and in his name. Mm-hmm.